Amen. Wow. What an incredible morning. Almost am hesitant to move forward because we've been in the glory. So, Lord, keep your glory here. We're moving into a new year. We're getting ready for head of the year. Things are changing. The old season is coming to the end. We're coming into a new season. And I can't think of a better message to help us prepare for that than the one I have this morning. Because on Wednesday morning, I texted Chuck and said, is God saying anything to you for this coming Sunday? And he said, yes. I heard two words. God said, I am. And so for our message this morning, it's knowing Jesus as the great I am. I will be what you need for me to be. We want to start in John chapter 8. It says, some Pharisees said to Jesus, Abraham died and so did the prophets. And yet you say that whoever obeys your word will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham? Who do you think you are? I tell you the truth, Jesus answered. Before Abraham was born, I am. And at this they picked up stones to stone him. Now in this exchange between Jesus and the Pharisees, Jesus makes a cryptic statement and the Pharisees have a surprisingly violent response. They are so upset that Jesus would call himself I am that they literally tried to kill him. Now, to understand what is happening in this passage, we need to go back to Exodus chapter 3 and the story of Moses and the burning bush. It says, Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush, and Moses saw that though the bush was, had, had fire on it, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I'll go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. And when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place you are standing is holy ground. And then he said, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I have seen the misery of my people in Egypt. And I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. So now go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. 
Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What then shall I tell them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And this is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. So here in Exodus chapter 3, we find Moses tending sheep in the wilderness. Israel is being held in cruel bondage and slavery in Egypt, but they've begun to cry out to God for relief. Now Moses had been sent into exile for his attempts to try to fight the Egyptians. But the time has come for God to act. Ooh, tell your neighbor the time has come for God to act. And so God appears to Moses in the midst of a burning bush. And God commissions Moses to return to Egypt and lead his people to freedom. But Moses says, who shall I say has sent me? What's he asking? He's asking to know the name of Israel's God. And so God tells Moses, I am who I am. You could also translate that, I am he who is. God is saying, I am the self-existent one. I am the uncreated creator who always is. As God would later reveal himself in Revelation 1.8, he's saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I am means he is the God who is always there, always present to rescue his people. And so God says, I am who I am. And then he adds, so say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Now, this was a very significant event on several levels, but primarily, I believe, because this was the first time God revealed his covenant name to his people. And you know, it's important to God that we know his name. Proverbs 4, I love this verse in Proverbs. Who has gone up into heaven and come down? Who has gathered up the wind in the hollow of his hands? Who has wrapped up the waters in his cloak? Who has established all the ends of the earth? And listen to what he says. What is his name and the name of his son? Tell me if you know. Now, biblically, all names are important. A name is an expression of the nature, character, and destiny of an individual. A name can describe physical attributes. You know, Esau means red. Esau was named for his red hair. A name can reveal a person's character or nature. Satan means adversary or accuser, because that's what he is. A name can describe your personal call and destiny. Yeshua means Savior. In Matthew 1.21, it says, Call him Yeshua, for he will save his people from their sins. So a name is a revelation of a person. Names are sometimes assigned by God. 
Many times in the Bible, God tells a child's parents to give their child a certain name because it's important to God that that child has a name that reflected their call. And God sometimes changes people's names. God changed Abram's name to Abraham. Abram meant exalted father. Abraham meant father of many nations. Now, if human names are significant, God's name is even more important. God's names are expressions of who he is. His names are a revelation of his nature and character and purposes. To know God's names is to understand what he is like and how he wants to relate to us. Now, in the Old Testament, God revealed himself by many names. The three primary names of God are Elohim, Adonai, and Yahweh. Elohim, or El, means God. It's just a generic term for a supreme being. Israel called their God Elohim. The pagans called their gods Elohim. It's generic. But then there's Adonai. Adonai means Lord. And that's a title acknowledging that he is your master. When you call him Adonai, you're saying, Lord, I submit my life to you. You are my Lord. But then finally, there's Yahweh or Yah. And that is the proper name of the true God. It is God's real name. It's his covenant name. Now, one of the most significant names of God is I am. And at the burning bush, when God commissioned Moses to go back to Egypt and lead Israel out of bondage, Moses said, who shall I say sent me? See, the, they had been in Egypt for 400 years, and they knew the names of all the Egyptian gods, but they knew their God was just the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They didn't know his name. So God says, tell the people, I am has sent you. When God says, tell the people I am has sent you, he was giving a new revelation of himself as Israel's covenant God. Because in Hebrew, God's covenant name, Yahweh, is really a form of the verb, I am. When God said, I am, he's really saying, Yahweh. And so in Exodus chapter 3, God is revealing for the first time his covenant name as Yahweh. And that is the highest and holiest name of God in the Old Testament. Yahweh is God's personal name. See, any deity can be called a God. But Yahweh is the name of the one true God. And so when God wants to tell his people who he is, he says, I am. Now what's interesting about this is how God develops this revelation as you go through the Old Testament because as God continues to reveal himself and what he is like, he takes the name Yahweh and adds words to it. God's covenant names always begin with Yahweh and he has a whole series of covenant names. Yahweh is I am. But then God adds to it a word that tells us what he wants to be for his people. So in Exodus 15, 26, God starts with Yahweh, I am, but then he adds Rapha, your healer. And so one of God's covenant names is Yahweh Rapha, I am the Lord that heals you. And God does that over and over again 
all through the Old Testament. He tells us that he is Yahweh Jireh, I am your provider. If you're in need of provision, you need to know Yahweh Jireh. Yahweh Tzidkenu, I am your righteousness. Your righteousness does not depend on how good you are and how little you sinned. It depends on him because he is your righteousness. Yahweh Nisi, I am your victory. I will lead you in triumph over the enemy. Yahweh Shalom, I am your peace. Yahweh Roha, I am your shepherd. Now it's important as we see how God makes these compound names, it's important that we understand what God is doing. I believe God really is giving us a fill in the blank. He says, I am, and then you fill in what you need. You can fill in anything that he has revealed himself to be. I am your healer. If you need healing, you can come to know him as your healer. I am your provider. I am your victory. I am your shepherd. And that's why it's important to know God's names. God's names are an expression of what he is willing to be for you. His name is the basis of faith. Isaiah 50 verse 10 says, Let him trust in the name of the Lord and rely upon God. Trusting in God's name means you're trusting God. You're relying on God. Acts 3.16, a man's healing came through faith in Jesus' name. And you know, God wants us to honor his name. Honoring his name is an expression of worship. Philippians 2.10 says that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. And when Jesus told us to pray, hallowed be your name, may your name be made holy, he meant may your name be honored. May your name be treated as holy, as special. And so you don't take the names of God lightly. You don't use the name Yahweh in a meaningless way. And if you understand all of that, you'll see why Jesus' statement in John 8, 58 was so upsetting to the Pharisees. Because when Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am, Jesus was taking the name I am, the highest and holiest name of God, and was applying it to himself. In other words, Jesus was saying, you want to know who I am? I'm Yahweh, the covenant God of Israel. And when the Pharisees heard that, it says they picked up stones to try to stone him to death. Because they knew Jesus' statement was nothing less than blasphemy. And you know, it was blasphemy, unless he really is. I am. And see, what the Pharisees didn't understand was that Jesus had every right to use the name I am because he really is God. And the great truth of the New Testament is this. In Jesus, Yahweh has taken on human flesh. John chapter 1 says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Word was another title of Yahweh, the creator God of the Old Testament. 
And so Yahweh took on human flesh and tented, tabernacled among us. And so Jesus really is the I am. You know, that's taught all the way through the New Testament. And then just like God had done at the Old Testament with his compound names, Jesus gives a whole series of compound names to help us understand who he is. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I'm the source of strength and healing for you. He said, I am the light of the world. He brings deliverance from darkness. He brings revelation. He said, I am the door of the sheep. He shelters you in times of danger. You know, in the ancient world, a sheepfold was a wall, but it didn't have a door. It was just a wall with an opening. And at night when the, the wild animals were roaming, the shepherd would lay down across the opening. The shepherd would be the door of the sheep. No wild predators could access the sheep without coming through the shepherd. Jesus said, I'm the door of the sheep. He said, I am the good shepherd. He lays down his life to deliver you from the enemy and to direct your steps into God's blessing. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He brings life that's eternal and abundant. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He brings us into a relationship with the Father to receive the fullness of God's shalom. He said, I am the true vine. See, he's the vine, we're the branches. What keeps the branches alive? It's their connection to the vine. In, reunion, in union with him, we receive everything we need to flourish. And so by calling himself I am, Jesus is telling us that he is willing to be all of these things to us. You know, when Jesus stood at the tomb of Lazarus, Martha needed a resurrection. Her brother was dead. Now she had a little faith, but not a full understanding of who Jesus was. And so she said, well, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And so Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection. So they rolled aside the stone and Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus arose. See, Martha did not have to wait for the last day. Jesus was the resurrection for her. In John chapter 6, Jesus ministered to 5,000 people and they were all crowding around him, trying to touch him, trying to be healed. And many of them had traveled a long distance to get there. And they had brought no food and they got hungry. And so Jesus told the disciples to feed them. But all the disciples had was five pieces of pita bread and two small fish. And so Jesus told his disciples, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. For those 5,000 people, Jesus showed himself as Yahweh Jireh. He saw their need 
and he met it. For the bleeding woman who reached out to touch the fringe of Jesus' garment, she had battled the way through the crowd, probably made people upset with her, but she knew she wanted to touch the fringe of Jesus' garment, and to her, Jesus was Yahweh Rapha. I am the Lord, your healer. All she had to do was touch Jesus, and she was completely healed. In Luke 13, there was a woman in the synagogue who had been crippled by a demon of infirmity for 18 years. 18 years earlier, for somehow this demon latched onto her, and the result was she could not straighten up. For 18 years, she couldn't straighten up, but to her, Jesus was Yahweh Nisi. I am your victory over the enemy. And so he said, woman, be set free from infirmity. It says immediately she straightened up and praised God. The demon of infirmity left, and for the first time in 18 years, she could stand up straight. She was healed. The great I am had set her free from the devil's oppression. The woman caught in adultery was surrounded by enemies who wanted to kill her. She was in a desperate situation because she was guilty. Everybody knew she was guilty. She had been caught. And by the law, she deserved to die. But in Jesus, mercy triumphed over judgment. And Jesus revealed himself as the good shepherd. And he rescued her from her accusers. John 10, 14, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. A good shepherd watches over his sheep and protects them from harm even when they've gone astray. Then in John 14, Jesus and the disciples are gathered for their Passover meal in the upper room. And the disciples ask Jesus how they can come to the Father. And Jesus' answer was, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. See, if you want to know the Father, Jesus is the only way. And then to a world enslaved by sin and held in terrible bondage by the devil, he says, I am Yeshua. I am your Savior. He was the Lamb of God who gave his life to pay the penalty for your sin so you could be set free. And the word says if Jesus was willing to suffer and to die, to be your Savior, there is nothing that he will withhold. I love this verse in Romans 8.32. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he would not along with him also give us freely all things? That means you are free to go to God with confidence to receive. Because if he didn't spare Jesus and let him suffer and die for you, he loves you so much there's not any good thing that he'll withhold. And see, that's what it means for Jesus to be the I am. Jesus says to you, I am. 
and you get to fill in the blank. I am your healer. I am your provider. I am your defender. I am your righteousness. I am your victory. I am your shepherd. I am your savior. And if you will commit yourself totally to him, he will make all of his divine resources available to you. So the great I am says, I am willing to be for you whatever you need me to be. I am willing to be to you whatever you will trust me to be. Now, in the light of that, I think there are two questions Jesus would ask you today. First of all, if Jesus is the great I am, will you give your life to him? That is the most important decision you will ever make. See, he gave himself totally to you, for you. Will you give yourself, give your heart totally to him? And see, when he gives himself totally to you and you respond by giving yourself totally to him, that forms covenant. That's what covenant is all about. You're completely committed to him. He's completely committed to you. And when you walk in covenant with him, all of his promises are yours. But if you make, uh, and right now, if you've never done that, right now, just give your heart to him. Just say, Lord, I'm yours. As you gave yourself totally for me, I want to give myself totally for you. I want to come into covenant with the great I am. But if you've made that decision, then there's a second question he would ask. If Jesus is the great I am, what will you write in your blank this morning? See, if you are fully his, he will be for you whatever you need for him to be. So rise up in faith and ask him for what you need. Draw close to him. Stand on his word until you receive everything he has promised. Because he is the great I am. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are the great I am. Lord, I thank you. You gave yourself totally for us, and you make yourself totally available to us. Lord, as we walk with you, there is nothing you will withhold. All of the promises are ours. We can fill in that blank with anything you authorize us to fill in. And Lord, as we trust in you, as we draw near to you, as we pursue you, we will see every promise come to pass. Lord, we praise you and we honor you now. In Jesus' name, amen.